and on page 1173 of your Red Bibles. Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And over the page in chapter two, verse six and seven. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Fiona, and evening, everyone. Ah, tongue-tied. Evening, everyone. Great to see you. Well done. I see I've already congratulated you for coming despite the tennis. Um, and please do keep your Bible open there. Uh, flick back a page to Ephesians 1, if you would, on page 1173. Before we get to that, though, The Shawshank Redemption, a film lots of us will have seen, uh, a story where the ending makes all the difference. Two friends trapped in Shawshank prison, years of cruel, brutal existence until in different ways they manage to gain their freedom. One friend escapes, the other, played by Morgan Freeman, is an old man by the time he's released, and he's tempted to give in to despair. So many years spent behind bars, what future could there be for him? But he gets word that his old friend, who he last saw in that terrible prison, might just be waiting for him in a stunning paradise. And the story ends like this. For the second time in my life, 
I'm guilty of committing a crime. Parole violation. Of course, I doubt they'll toss up any roadblocks for that. Not for an old crook like me. Fort Hancock, Texas, please. I find I'm so excited I can barely sit still or hold a thought in my head. I think it's the excitement only a free man can feel. A free man at the start of a long journey whose conclusion is uncertain. I hope I can make it across the border. I hope to see my friend and shake his hand. I hope the Pacific is as blue as it has been in my dreams. I hope. Good, isn't it? From a prison to paradise. The ending makes all the difference. Sorry if I've spoiled the ending of that film for you, by the way, but it has been out for about 30 years. Uh -oh. Well, the past few Sundays, we've been thinking about our stories, your story, my story, the story of our lives. All very different, but we've seen from Ephesians 1 how all Christian believers have one shared story. A story which is grounded in our union with Christ, our belonging to Jesus, being in him, in Paul's words. And a story which, if we take it to heart, will assure us of our identity, who we most truly are, uh, and it'll lead us to praise God, like Paul does from verse 3 to verse 6 to verse 12 to verse 14. Our whole story leading to grateful praise. And tonight we reach the end of this story, our story. And here's what we see, that in Christ, the end of our story is absolutely secure and outrageously wonderful. Now, when it comes to the future, uh, Steve was kind of teeing this up at the start of the service. I'm sure we feel a range of things. I wonder how you feel as you look to the future. As you look ahead, what perspective, um, what emotion is it that dominates? Could be its happiness as you consider what's coming. That holiday, a wedding, catching up with someone you haven't seen in ages. Or maybe it's worry, feeling apprehensive as you ponder what the future holds. Exam results, yet another doctor's appointment. Or even, uh, weirdly, the very same things that could be happy could make us fearful, uh, a holiday, a wedding, seeing that person you haven't seen in ages. Could be we look ahead and we just feel uncertain. I've no idea what the future holds. Or maybe like Steve was saying, uh, our gaze is fixed elsewhere, fixed on the present. It's just so much on my plate at the moment. I, I can't think about what's coming. Or our gaze is fixed on the past looking back nostalgically to better times that are now behind us, looking back with regret to mistakes we've made, opportunities missed, 
Or maybe, if we look ahead, we see a dead end approaching in the form of death, and we're filled with despair or denial, or we just try to keep busy and distract ourselves. You know, could it be that our, our busy working uh, and exercising and swiping uh, and chatting, uh, we're just trying to be distracted from death? Doesn't fix things, though, does it? One person said, distraction is the only thing that consoles us for our miseries, and yet is itself the greatest of our miseries. Well, tonight the good news for us is that you and I can look to the future with hope, and not a hollow, wishful hope, but hope in Christ. Like Paul says in verse 12, he's put his hope in Christ which caught me slightly, I'd expect Paul to say he'd put his trust in Christ, put his faith in Jesus, and that is what Christians do, but Paul says he's put his hope in Jesus because Christian faith carries with it a future focus, looking forward with confident expectation of what's to come. See, in Jesus, we have what you might call an iceberg salvation, uh, David, you'll know much more about this uh, than me working for the British Antarctic Survey. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, this, I do know that icebergs are absolutely massive. Um, one formed uh, in 2021 called A76. That's 170 kilometers long and 25 kilometers wide. Absolutely gigantic. If we passed it, it would dwarf us. Uh, bigger than Majorca, bigger even than Somerset. And yet, what we see above the waterline is just the tip. 90% lies beneath the surface, absolutely whoppingly massive. And our salvation as Christians is a bit like that. Christians are the most privileged people, Paul's been saying. We have massive spiritual blessings in Christ right now. But what we have now, big as it is, is just the tip of the iceberg an immense inheritance that lies ahead of us, out of sight, but big enough to fill forever. So what is our hope in Christ, our inheritance? Well, it's worth praising God for because it's secure and it's wonderful. Let's dig into those. First, our hope is secure, which is more than could be said for lots of future plans. Uh, some years ago, um, my friends and I tried to organize a holiday um, going to Vietnam, Thailand, places like that. Uh, but of course, that was summer 2020, and our plans came to nothing. And actually, we ended up going to Northern Ireland instead, which in my books was an upgrade. Um, my friends, they weren't quite as sure. Um, but that's what our plans are like, isn't it? Will this summer's plans work out? Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. But this hope is different because God is behind it. The one who, verse 12, works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. When God makes plans, they happen. Uh, someone put it this way, that history is his story. It's a bit cheesy, but you get what it's saying. That God is not a fellow traveler with us, walking down the corridor of time through past, present, future, like us. Uh, if he were, 
then God's future plans would be just as uncertain as my summer plans. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe they won't. No, thankfully, God will bring about the future he plans because he's not a character in the story. He's the author. History is his story, which he works out just as he wills, past, present, future. I don't know how you feel about spoilers, um, someone giving away the ending. I hate them. My wife, Hannah, quite likes them because it means that however stressful a story gets, she can know a happy ending is coming. Well, think of verse 9 as a big flashing spoiler alert warning. Stop reading if you don't want to see how it all ends because the author tells us where his story's going. Verse 10, his plan to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. What's that saying? Well, think of Humpty Dumpty. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a big fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. A mess so broken no one could fix it. Well, Paul's saying that Jesus is going to do for our broken world what all the king's men couldn't do for Humpty Dumpty. Our world that's so broken, the environment, politics, justice, war, broken bodies, broken relationships, broken hearts, Jesus is going to put them all back together again. It'll be a new creation, whole and unbroken forever. So glorious, only God can do it. That's the spoiler. Jesus will be the center of a new creation. God will bring it about. And the shock is that you really are included. Verse 13 speaks of ordinary people who've heard the Christian message and believed it. It's most of us, I guess, very ordinary. But if that's us, Paul says, you've been drawn into an extraordinary story. You believed, because in eternity, God the Father chose you to belong to his family. In history, God the Son died to pay for your sins. When you believed, you were included in Christ. And now you're an heir with an eternal inheritance ahead of you, God's new creation in Christ. We're not there yet but God made it your destiny before time began. See, Christian hope isn't hoping for the best. A free man at the start of a long journey whose conclusion is uncertain. No, it's better than Shawshank hope. The conclusion of our journey is certain because of our union with Christ. Jesus' people are unbreakably united to him. Our future glory is as certain as his glory. The only way we could lose ours is if Jesus lost his, which he will share with us. Someone put it this way, that in heaven we'll be less sinful than we are now, but our salvation won't be any more secure than it is right now because of our God-given union with Christ. And yet God knows we need reassuring so when you believe, Paul says, he marked you with his spirit, who, verse 13, is a seal. 
Picture farmers branding their cattle uh, to show who they belong to. Or the Toy Story films, uh, Woody finding his owner's name on the bottom of his boot, Andy. We are sailed to say, you're mine. You belong to me now. If you ever feel insecure about your identity, if you ever, ever wonder who I am, then remember whose you are. You're mine, and I'll keep you. Or verse 14, God's given us his spirit as a deposit, like a down payment on a house, uh, a first installment that guarantees the rest is coming. As he helps us look to Jesus in faith, as he begins to change us, so we start to fight our sin, and we try to love each other as a family, uh, our union with Christ bearing some fruit. As the Spirit does those things, we're experiencing the tip of the iceberg, getting a little taste of what's to come. Many uncertainties as we look ahead, but Christian believer, this is not one of them. You can look forward with confidence. This is your hope in Christ. And as well as that, we can look forward eagerly like a hungry man or woman looks forward to a big juicy steak, like a weary student who can't wait for the end of term and is overjoyed when the holidays come, like a climber who knows the view from the top will make the hard journey worth it. We can look forward with joyful longing because our hope in Christ is wonderful. You can imagine, I guess, an inheritance that's a bit of a letdown. I leave you my collection of antique buttons a box of assorted elastic bands, which require sorting, and 10,000 shares in a video rental company. <laughs> well, our inheritance won't be like that. It'll exceed our wildest dreams. And there's much we'll have to wait to find out. But God has given us some mouth-watering glimpses in his word. So let's whet our appetites and get an, get an idea of what we'll inherit. First, we're going to inherit a perfect place. Looking at Christian art, you'd think that Christians look forward to a kind of bland, floaty existence, uh, drifting about on clouds, which is pretty boring. And thankfully, that's not the Bible's picture of where we're headed. The new creation Jesus brings won't be heaven without earth, but heaven on earth. It'll be real and solid, and substantial, this world but perfected, full of feasting and satisfying work and teeming with life. Now we live in the Shadowlands, the place of previews and pictures and pointers. Then we'll have the real thing, our ideal home. If you like this world, you'll love the next one. And this world really can be amazing, can't it? Uh, this past week, we've been in the Lake District Absolutely stunning views, amazing stuff. But even at its best, this world's broken, chained up by sin and death and decay. Just imagine creation set free. Death and mourning and crying and pain no more. No more funerals, no more depression, no more eating disorders, no more loneliness, no more global warming, no locks on doors, no fear walking down the streets. Creation unbroken 
Everything sad will come untrue. But even more, creation glorified. So it's even better than it was in the beginning. What will that be like? Who knows, maybe we'll think back to the wonders of this world and realize God was just warming up. Realize the pleasures that we craved and chased after in this life were tiny whispers compared to the loud shouts at every corner of that world. And we won't fear, is this a dream I'm going to wake up from? Because Christ will hold us in glory forever. Gone will be the days when good things come to an end and the future is uncertain. There's a little picture of this at the end of the Narnia stories. The children are told, the term is over, the holidays have begun, the dream is ended, this is the morning. And for us, this is the end of all the stories, and we can most truly say they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures had only been the cover and the title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Church family, if you're paralyzed by the past, living in regret, realize your life in Christ lies endlessly before you. Once we're there, our troubles will seem light and momentary. It'll be a perfect place. And it will be full of perfect people. Now, it's true, when Christians die, we go, go to be with Christ and our bodies stay in the ground. But that's not our final destination. Jesus rose from the dead and united to him, bound to him, so will we, with new bodies, bodies that never get tired or sick or weary, but full of resurrection life, so that even the best body now will be like swapping a flimsy tent for a solid house. Glorious people, that if we saw them, we might be tempted to worship them. And not just perfect bodies, but perfect hearts. I'm so looking forward to this, we won't sin anymore. We'll be freed from sin's grip, and there's no chance we might fall back into it. Imagine, no more agonizing struggles with temptation. No more half-hearted obedience, wondering what's wrong with me. No more shame and skeletons in the closet. We'll be free to do what we want because what we want will always be right and good. There's the apocryphal story of a thief who wants to give up stealing, but he can't shake his bad habits. So he goes to church and on the wall is the Ten Commandments. And he reads, you shall not steal. And rejoicing, he thinks to himself, what a promise. I shall not steal. That's exactly what I've been looking for. Well, if he's a bit mistaken, it's only because he's got the timing wrong. Because in the new creation, all God's commands really will become promises. You shall not steal. You shall not envy. You shall not lust. You shall not lie. You shall love God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. And we might wonder, gosh, if I'm going to be so thoroughly changed, will I still be me? Uh, am I going to be a completely different person to who I am now? Well, imagine 
a drug addict whose addiction has ruined them. They're just a shadow of who they were. But they're cured of their addiction. And instead of being emaciated, they put on weight. Uh, their skin's no longer discolored and blotchy. They have friends and a home. They're no longer a shadow. In a way, they are a different person. But in a deeper sense, they're finally themselves at last. And cured of sin in heaven, we'll finally be ourselves. Finally, the people we wished we were in our better moments. No longer shadows, but the people we were meant to be. Heaven is the only place we're free to be ourselves. And we might wonder, will I be the young me, the old me, the beardy me, the bold me? Well, we don't know, but we will be the sanctified me, the Christ-like me, truly me, but perfected. And every single person there will be like that, all delighting to be humble and generous and kind. It'll be a world of love. Imagine no more broken relationships. At its very best, church family is just a little hint of it. All the diversity of this world with none of the divisions. No one you couldn't imagine as a friend. And yet even that won't be the highlight of heaven. The highlight of our future will be a perfect person. See, Jesus is much more than some temporary stopgap to save us from our sin. He's our life. We're bound to him. And he will always be the highlight of the new creation. The one we'll know by faith we'll finally see. And seeing him will become like him in his glory and goodness. And seeing Jesus won't be like catching a glimpse of some celebrity from afar. For the day Jesus returns will be like the ultimate wedding day when we see our beloved face to face, eternally embraced in the arms of his love from everlasting to everlasting. The best marriage will seem only a dim reflection. We'll delight in him and amazingly, he'll delight in us. He will never bring up our sin against us, sin he died for, in fact, Anything we remember of our sins now will only serve to increase our joyful wonder in his grace. And there will be no more cold hearts as we think of him, no more getting distracted, no more doubts. We'll see he's everything we hope for and more. And we'll think to ourselves, of course he was worth following. I can't believe I thought so much of the cost. I've given so little for so much. See, in the new creation, we won't be at the center. That would be hell. Jesus will be the center. And the thought of forever praising him could sound a bit boring, like an endless church service. But it'll be just the opposite. It'll be our unending joy to worship him. We'll see the nail marks in his hands, and we'll never get over how much he loved us. And for all eternity, we'll keep seeing new depths to his grace swimming deeper and deeper in the bottomless ocean of his infinite love and our hearts swelling with joy as we bask in the sunshine of his endless kindness and we'll never tire praising Jesus for his glorious grace. The end of the story makes all the difference. How our stories will end is absolutely secure 
and outrageously wonderful, all because of our union with Christ. Well, the very next thing Paul does is he prays for God's help. So let's pray for help to know this deeply. So we praise our gracious God. Father, we pray, please enlighten the eyes of our hearts that we might know the hope to which you've called us in Christ, the riches of your glorious inheritance in your holy people. And we pray this for our good and for your glory. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, I'm aware of the danger of an endless church service, but um, if we go to the next slide, uh, David, I do wonder, before we sing our next song, maybe a couple of questions just to chat with a neighbor about. Is there a particular aspect from the last four weeks thinking about our union with Christ that you want to celebrate? And what are you looking forward to about our inheritance? Uh, if those questions are catching you off guard, don't worry about it. Feel free to chat about the tennis or something else. But let's chat for a couple of minutes before we sing. <laughs>